You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Welcome to Talk of the Bay. I'm your host, Rick Kleffel. On Talk of the Bay tonight, we'll have members of the Mountain Community Theater, including um, director Steve Brenner, Danny Vieira, and Adrian Bischoff, all in Kurt Vonnegut's Breakfast of Champions. Let's hear about how those chemicals are making you act. Coming up next on Talk of the Bay and in the second half of the program, I'll be speaking with Neil Coonerty about this SoCal Redevelopment Project. That's Talk of the Bay on KUSP 88.9 FM. Stay tuned. Welcome to Talk of the Bay. I'm your host, Rick Kleffel. With me in the studio tonight are um, Steve Brenner. He's the director of Breakfast of Champions. Thank you for joining me, Steve. Uh, I'm happy to be here. And we have Denny Vieira as the author. Thank you. And we have Adrian Bischoff. How's it going, Rick? <laughs> Great. Now, this is a play based on a book by Kurt Vonnegut. Steve, tell us a little bit about your first experience of this book. Well, I have to be honest and say I, I read the play script before I read the novel, okay? And uh, it gave me a lot of respect after I went back and read the novel as to how the, the, this man, uh, Robert Egan, who did the screenplay, was actually able to make a, a, a stage play out of this novel because it's a very typical uh, Kurt Vonnegut piece. It's an anti-novel. It's, it doesn't have a main character. It doesn't have a message. And it just goes all over the map all the way through time and space. I have to agree with you. When I saw that they were even making a play out of this novel, I thought, how could you do that? Because it's so much a novel. It's very, as a, even for a regular novel, it's extremely experimental. So tell us a little bit about some of the changes that the uh, um, adapt- adapter made in putting this together. Well, anytime you take a novel and put it into the form of a play, the one thing you've got to do is make it shorter because novels are longer than plays. (laughs) Yeah. So then the question is, what do you take out and what do you leave in and still capture the essence, capture the feeling? You're going to have to get rid of some characters. You're going to have to get rid of some situations. And sometimes when you do that, when you're done, what you've got doesn't give you the same feeling that you got from the book. In this case, he did it. He took pieces from, from all over. He left some things out. But overall, he told the story that Kurt Vonnegut was trying to tell. But I'm not sure what that was. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian, you said you just uh, read the book. Tell us a little bit about your experience of the book and, and contrast that with your experience of, of playing the part in the play. And you play the... I, the uh, <laughs> part of the, well, I'm one of the ensemble, and there's about 10 or 11 of the... 11. Un- 11 ensemble members. Um, well, I actually read the play first and then started reading the novel to get some a little more fleshed out kind of um, feel for the story. Um, and 
I like what I mean there's characters all over the place in the book and in, and in the play and um, I wouldn't have known how to make it as vibrant on stage as it actually is um, and we do that by making I play a dog for example so <laughs> I wouldn't have thought by reading the novel that somebody a playwright would come along and actually put the dog on stage and let the dog talk to the audience about how it can't wag its tail or they've got humanoids on stage. So, I mean, there's a ton and ton <laughs> of really bizarre characters. Um, and Kurt Vonnegut talks about them in the book sort of nonchalantly, like, okay, here's another cast of crazy characters, but we actually have them out on stage and they're running around backstage, switching in and out of costumes. So it makes it, it's incredibly lively um, and almost frenetic <laughs> in a really great way. Denny, you play the author uh, who is in the book sort of, kind of, an analog for Kurt Vonnegut himself. Uh, did you look into the life of Kurt Vonnegut and did you, have you read the book? Tell us a little bit about your experience of the play and the book. Well, um, first of all, I'm the only one that's real in the entire play. Speak for yourself. <laughs> um, the, rest of the, the rest of the characters are out of my imagination and, and put onto the, onto the stage. Um, and I did read, I have read some of uh, Kurt Vonnegut's history, uh, mainly in his next to the last book, I think it is, called Timequake, which is um, an autobiography of him and a biography of Kilgore Trout uh, as Kurt Vonnegut sees it. And um, I found it very interesting that um, Vonnegut's mind is really as bizarre as this play is. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that sounds fairly unusual because I have to say that Breakfast of Champions is a book that it's, it's really extreme, managed to be very, very entertaining, but seem almost like a view into the, the mind of a madman. Uh, Steve, as a director, how do you convey some of those impressions. Well, that's a good point. And when we say sort of the mind of a madman, it's because that is the really, the thing that sets Kurt Vonnegut apart. What is it that makes him different and special? And that's this. Kurt Vonnegut always has the ability to stand outside of human society and observe what's going on with a completely unbiased, dispassionate view, just as we would be looked at from somebody from outer space or a different dimension. Right. And he will look at it totally and purely and look at what he's seeing and then describe it as someone would describe a situation without having any idea what's going on. And that comes out in the play. In this play, we have, uh, we have aliens that converse with each other by farting and tap dancing who have a great failure to communicate when they get to Earth. We have um, humanoids whose idea of a, of a porn movie is watching people eat real food. Okay, and so all of these different uh, ways of looking at things from the outside in that Kurt Vonnegut, that makes Kurt Vonnegut the genius that he was. And, and this seems to tie directly back to your character, Danny, the author. I, that's the way the author has this kind of godlike uh, perception of everything, doesn't he? Yes, he really does. And, and uh, I think... Um I think that there's a very strong social commentary um, everywhere from the chemicals to the automobiles that he talks about um, to the pollution that he's talking about to the war he's talking about. Um, it, to me, that that is one of the strongest um, messages in the play uh, is his social commentary. Now, it, it's a it's a pretty bleak and dark satire in many ways. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and Adrian, can you tell me uh, about, you know, 
how it feels to be in such a, a dark play. Do you play play it light or play it dark? Uh, well, it's so crazy that you just really want to, you know, emphasize that part, right? I mean, with the humanoids who are watching a porno movie filled with, you know, a banquet of food um, or watching some of the characters fart and tap dancing. So you, you play it up, but there's, I mean, there's, there is, I mean, there's a really dark element to it. And I noticed um, on opening night, actually, some people were laughing in places that you weren't quite expecting them to laugh because Kurt Vonnegut has this great <laughs> way of just switching it, almost slapping you right across the face. One minute, it's something hilarious, but he's actually using something, a very hilarious context to deliver a very poignant message. And then right after that, it's something incredibly um, candid and sincere. And so you can see the audience sort of not sure at times when it is they're supposed to be laughing or maybe they're laughing out of um, a sort of discomfort. So it's actually, it's quite, it's quite nice and it's, it's um, very eclectic. Uh, Steve, when you're directing this play, I'm guessing you have to direct it kind of like uh, Kurt Vonnegut's mind conceived of it. You have to have this kind of godlike dispassion to, to present all this utter craziness on stage. <laughs> There's that, and and then making all of that into a cohesive play. This is the first play I've ever directed where I actually do not know how many characters were in this play. I don't know how many there are. We have our three major characters. We have the author, Dwayne Hoover, and we have uh, Kilgore Trout. Then we have 11 members of the ensemble, and each one of them plays multiple roles. Each one of them is playing around 10 roles. Some of those roles they play are extremely serious, and some of them are extremely comical. And then the whole trick to directing something like this is to just to make it flow. You can't make it make sense. Either it'll make sense to the audience or not. But you can make it flow smoothly. And that's the challenge. To be able to go from outer space to inner space to a bar in Detroit to the island of Bermuda to um, Midland City in the Midwest for the Arts Festival smoothly without interruption. Now that's partly a uh, uh, uh the the script so tell us a little bit about this script um when did, when was this created i can't as i said when i saw that somebody had made a play of breakfast of champions it seems like one of the absurd things that would happen in breakfast of champions yes uh, it was actually done by a, a man uh, who was the uh, chairman of the theater arts department at uc santa barbara uh, just a few years after the novel was published actually Really? That's, that's shocking. <laughs> but it's not widely done, but it's a very, very good script. He did a great job, and, um, and, and it, was, it, was, it was fun to put it together and make a cohesive show out of it. But not easy. As, even as, the, as the, screen, uh, the playwright has said, we have the acts, the two acts are divided into scenes, but he says the audience should never notice the scenes. It's, it should just flow from one to the other. So what's happening is, is when you see a, a place on stage that we've created, for example, a bedroom. That bedroom disappears and people are carrying set pieces off. At the same time, there's a person walking down the middle of the stage starting to talk about what's coming up next and describing the next scene. So there's no interruptions. Wow, that sounds really interesting. It's like a trip through time and space, which mm -hmm. is what Kurt Vonnegut would want. Now, how, how do you recreate this with sets? Are you guys using minimalist sets or... It is absolutely minimalist. You've got a black floor, a black ceiling, and black walls, and everything else is done by people carrying furniture on and off. It's, there's some chairs come on and off, some tables come on and off. We have a we've built a thing that 
doubles as the um, as the uh, counter at the porn shop to the bar in the Holiday Inn. It's just a single set piece, and it comes in and out. We have a magazine rack, and that's about it. And it's just things, people carrying things in and out. We do it at that and with lighting and with speaking. One of the unique aspects about this play is we have narrators who narrate, and then we have characters who narrate in character about themselves and then suddenly become themselves in a scene. So all of the words are laid out for the audience, and then they get to listen and use their head to imagine what they're seeing. Very Hitchcockian in a way. Well, uh, Denny, tell us about the challenges of, of your part. I, when you're playing somebody who is responsible for all the madness on the stage, don't you feel like maybe a little bit embarrassed? <laughs> No, actually, um, I think maybe I was typecast. <laughs> <laughs> so you are indeed God. You you, you got gray hair, and I, I mean you got your partway there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm hoping you. I, I need a new car. <laughs> Wait till you get to the parking lot. All right, thank you very much. Denny plays it very well, very dispassionately and a sort of and humorously. I think just kind of watch this cast of characters kind of evolve, but with a great amount of love for them. Well, let's talk about some of the concepts behind the book and the play. Now, you mentioned this, and we were talking about this earlier but before the show. Uh, one of my favorite parts of this book is Vonnegut's thesis about chemicals. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about what Vonnegut has to say about chemicals and why humans are just so wonderfully the way we are. Well, would he, at the very, very beginning of the play, we have this character who's a car dealer in the Midwest named Dwayne Hoover. And we are told right up front that he's going crazy and he's going to do some horrible things. And the reason he does these horrible things is because he's going insane. He's going insane because of, quote, the bad chemicals inside of him. But in order to do these bad things, he needs a trigger, which will be when he gets a hold of one of Kilgore Trout's books and he reads that book and that's what put him over the edge. So we have a lot of talk about these bad chemicals, but interestingly enough, Vonnegut never, Vonnegut never tells us which bad chemicals he's talking about. Do they come from pollution in the atmosphere, recreational drugs, naturally produced enzymes, preservatives in our food? Never says. It's just bad chemicals. Uh, Adrian, tell us a little bit about... Um how you have to play these different characters. I mean, that's got to be a challenge. Do you Are you jumping in and out of different costumes? Well, um, luckily one of the narrators is just, you know, I do a narrator and that's basic black. But yeah, I mean, you're jumping back and forth. Um, you're, and, you know, as an ensemble, you're putting on the furniture as well and, and everything. So um, you'll be carrying out furniture, then running backstage and then putting on my silver gloves to play the humanoid and and then running back off stage, moving more furniture, then putting on a wait, uh, I'm sorry, an apron to be a waitress. Yeah. So, I mean, it's incredible. It's not at all what I would think um, would be a typical role for a member of an ensemble because you're constantly moving backstage and have, and actually have, I mean, I'm on stage quite a bit, um, some speaking parts, some not, but if I'm not on stage, I'm backstage running around, moving things around. So it's an incredible amount of involvement, which is, you know, wonderful. The 11 members of the ensemble don't really have specific costumes for all the characters they play. They're all dressed in black, black pants, long sleeve black shirts, and then when they go in to be a character, they'll wear some accent. For example, when Adrian plays a waitress, she just puts a little apron on over her black. Another one plays a maid, just puts a little white doily on her head. Um, just things like that. And that's the, when a guy because a humanoid puts a couple of dealy bobbers on his head so he becomes a little uh, alien <laughs> that flies around. So these things can come on and off quite quickly, which they have to because there's 100 <laughs> characters in this play. 
Well, I'm wondering if when you're performing a play like this, for example, with this idea about the chemicals, do, do you like think about this as you're happening within you while you're performing? I mean, obviously, there's a whole stew of chemicals that are, you know, driving you on stage, basically, presumably, what you ate and the vitamins you took. Well, all of my chemicals have told me they're, they're good chemicals. <laughs> I have no reason to disbelieve them. Well, and my power of denial is great enough to make me think that I'm, I'm different and better than the characters that he writes. And since I'm the author, I get to create the, the chemicals at my will. And so I feel good when I want to feel good, and I feel different when I want to feel different. <laughs> And I, I think Vonnegut is looking at a lot of the whole, all of the negative things that come from people, uh, come from these bad chemicals. He, he, racism is a very, very strong theme in this play, comes in and out all during the play. Homophobia is a very strong uh, uh, theme in this play. Uh, one of the major characters, Dwayne Hoover's son, is homosexual, and the difficulties and issues concerning that. We have the bad chemicals, we have ecology, he talks about pollution, a planet which dies because they use up all of their resources. Waving it all in and out with Dwayne Hoover's insanity from his bad chemicals. It's pretty wild. I, this is a, a play that really, even though it was written, the book was written, well, you know, something like 30 years ago, um, but it still seems extremely contemporary and relevant. It's, it's totally relevant. The only, I had to make very, very few changes to bring it to today. And I'll, I'll tell you the way I did them. Um, War and peace and pacifism and the military are also a major theme. Many times, in, I shouldn't say many, several times in the book, things happen and he's discussing the war in Vietnam. I've taken out the word Vietnam, but I haven't replaced it with Iraq or Afghanistan. I've just left it as the war or the military. And it plays. It makes perfect sense today as it did in the 1970s. Wow, that's an interesting technique. Um, Denny, as, as the author, um, could you talk uh, about um, your interactions with these characters you create? I mean, normally when you're playing a part on, on a in a play, you're playing, you know, you're on the same plane as as the other people in the play. And this, you're kind of, you're almost in the same seat as the director. You're the kind of the director's voice box in a sense. Basically, I'm describing what these, what is going on in my head, and I'm putting, describing who's going to be on stage, which is in my head. And I'm describing many of the characters or at least the scenes that are going to take place. And that's kind of the author's, author's job is to describe what's going to be happening. Well, you also have a really nice moment of self-reflection uh, in the cocktail lounge where you're talking about this conversation you're having with yourself and how this is going to mm -hmm. be a horrible novel. No, it won't. Right. Or yes, it will. So it's great. It kind of reveals a little self-doubt on his, on his role as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the character of Kilgore Trout, the perennially unsuccessful science fiction writer, must have been uh, something of a, a bit slightly autobiographical for, for Vonnegut, who was actually, in fact, a, one of the most phenomenally successful science fiction writers ever. He managed to escape really being called a science fiction writer, which is really unusual. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about um, this, this character, Kilgore Trout, a little bit and how it informs the play? Kilgore Trout is, is, is a method, uh, that's what he is. Kilgore Trout is a method that the playwright uses, or in this case the author, Kurt Vonnegut, uses to describe utter futility. It starts off <laughs> a biographical about how as a child his fa he worked in Bermuda for his father, a biologist, measuring the wingspan of the great Bermudan urn 
and his whole childhood was spent measuring these dead birds because they were becoming extinct. And after they all died, they found out that they were killed by a fungus that attacked their eyes and brain, which was brought in by man in the form of athlete's foot. He then becomes a writer, and he writes novels and short stories prolifically and sends them off to publishers with ever, without ever a stamped self-addressed envelope. He doesn't even remember where they go, and they pay him very, very little. And what they do with his, his stories and his books is they use the text as fillers around pictures in pornographic magazines. What more could be what could be more futile to a writer to know that my writing I'm being paid for it very little and that's what they're doing is they're just putting it in as filler text around the pictures of pornographic magazines well well that's actually how Stephen King's early career started in in magazines as auspicious I think as a dude and other magazines I probably can't even say the name of on the radio so this isn't this is not an unusual experience especially for authors of genre fiction now Kilgore Trout is a is a pretty interesting guy because in some ways he's based on um was it Danny we, we are Steve the uh, Theodore Sturgeon yeah the gentleman who plays Kilgore Trout in the play Rick Coon was mentioning that he had heard it was based on Theodore Sturgeon the, which makes sense with Kilgore Trout, mm-hmm. but of course he's also I think largely based on Philip K. Dick who is well known for having to having incredible ideas but writing being forced by poverty um and also his own incipient madness to write like five novels a year for basically nothing and that's how in you know the same year we got you know blade runner and a number of the Mm -hmm. you know most incredible novels out of out of that time and at the same time too they were largely you know dismissed as being nothing could you talk about um the steve telling me a little bit about when you're doing a play like this that hasn't been done, what made you choose this play? Oh, well, it, it goes back quite a while ago. About 23 years ago, I saw it performed somewhere up in Redwood City. There was a friend of mine who was in it, and I really liked it. And then several years later, in 1988, um, I directed this up at Mountain Community Theater as a staged reading, just for a couple of nights, just threw a few people together in a couple of rehearsals and did it. And we really enjoyed it, and it just stuck in my mind all that time that it's a really powerful piece, and also we wanted to do a piece that we didn't have to spend a lot of money on set for. Economics is always an issue. <laughs> I said, look, we can do this. I came to MCT, the board meeting, and said, we can do this play. It's a great play. It's fascinating. It's totally socially relevant, and it'll cost very little money because we don't have to build any set. Everything comes in and out. But I did tell them, just like in any play, there is one major issue, and that was I absolutely had to have three African-American performers in this play. You can't do with less. You have to have them. You can't fake it. And that is hard to come by in Santa Cruz area. It's hard to come by African-American performers. And I spent a lot of time talking to people in the theater community at Cabrillo, at uh, UC, uh, Pisces Moon, trying to get those three people. It was hard, but we got them. Well, tell us about your the span of your cast. I mean, this is sounds like it's a pretty large cast and necessary for all the characters. Absolutely, and again, we range in age from pretty young to pretty old. Um, as always in a community theater type uh, performance, we have a wide spectrum of um, of economic strata that always happens. You have brain surgeons working with woodcutters on the same set on the same piece, and uh, of course now we are very because of the nature of this play, whether we wanted to or not, and of course we always want to. We're very culturally diverse too. We have um, we have. Uh, a gentleman who was originally from Ghana in the cast. We have a woman in the cast who's from Germany. Uh, we have um, Hispanic Americans, Caucasians, everything. It's a real mix, and and which works beautifully on this play. I would imagine so. And 
could you talk about um, this play? It deals with a, a man who believes that everybody but him is a robot. Now, yes. <laughs> now this is uh, maybe not necessarily the easiest kind of main character to, to have in your play. When you have a, a man who's um, crazy and going to do something really bad, how do you keep the audience rooting for this play to go on when you've got uh, Dwayne Hoover as your main character? Well, the thing is that Vonnegut did that for us, okay, and the way he set it up. And, and they tell us, uh, the author tells us uh, how we set it up right at the beginning and it follows through. And that is, is that what's, all of these terrible things are going to happen when Dwayne Hoover, who's going crazy, meets up with Kilgore Trout. And then Kilgore Trout will give him this book that he'll read, and that'll set off his craziness. So until the very end of the play, we're going back and forth between Kilgore Trout and Dwayne Hoover as they slowly approach each other from different places. Now, the actuality is, is that uh, Dwayne Hoover isn't moving. He's in the same place. But what actually is happening is they're moving through space and time as the story goes on. Eventually, you know they're going to meet, and they do, and that's when all the excitement happens. So we have this, um, this tension is built up, is when is it going to happen? When are they going to get together? What's it going to be like when they get together? And I know the audience is not disappointed when it happens. <laughs> now, one of the things you can do in a play that involves uh, science fiction elements to, to bring heighten that up is to use some good sound design. So tell us a little bit about your you know the your crew and your sets and your makeup effects and some of that in sound as well. Well, it's it's mainly lighting. We oh, actually really? do it mainly with lighting, mm -hmm. with spot lighting in different parts of the stage. Because we have the continuous flow, we have to have things happening on one side of the stage while things are changing on the other side of the stage. So we have a very unique... Uh, um, Anthony Crawley was our lighting designer and did a superb job on setting up all of these different spots on the stage where we could have playing areas and then lights go out then and lights come up somewhere else. Um, the music, we use music to set the mood, of course, in the, in the pre-show. And um, we use some John Philip Sousa and we use some uh, some Zappa and some things. It pretty much sets mood during the show. But it's certainly much more done with lights as far as the, the special effects of being on alien worlds. Although the bad chemicals do have their own soundtrack. <laughs> Denny, um, playing a, a, you know, kind of a, a minor league deity, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, to, so to speak. Uh, well, that says you. <laughs> uh, could you give, maybe give us a, a, an idea of how you sound when you're making these pronouncements as the author? Oh. Um. Put you on the spot here. Well, this is a celebration of my 50th birthday, and I'm getting rid of a lot of junk in my head. I'm not going to put on any more puppet shows. I'm going to clear my head of, of the junk that's in there and make it as empty as it was the day I was born. So this is going to be a sidewalk strewn with junk, trash which I've thrown over my shoulders as I travel back in time to the day I was born. And that is the voice of God, or the author, as it were, uh, Danny Vieira. He's from the Mountain Community Theater production of Breakfast of Champions. Adrian, uh, tell us about um, how do you keep straight the ten different parts you play? Luckily, a lot of them aren't speaking, and <laughs> so when I just follow what everyone else is doing on stage. No, I mean, you, you get your cue. You, I mean, it's, it's fairly easy. Um, because they're so different. They're so unique. I mean, there's the dog and there's an automobile slash person who um, gives birth 
to another baby automobile who, who is actually an egg that hatches on stage. So, you know. Well, this sounds like completely insane. <laughs> Sorry to say you play a dog in an automobile. <laughs> so it's, it would be very hard for me to get those two confused. And actually, it just expands my repertoire, right? Um, and then, right, the humanoid who gets turned on by watching people eat, you know, a delicious banquet of food, um, a waitress who's going to try to seduce Dwayne Hoover so that he will marry her and get her out of Midland City or at least get her out of debt um, because she's basically just trapped there. Um, yeah, uh, one of several people on a big uh, ambulance known as Martha, uh, which basically hauls a whole bunch of people that Dwayne Hoover uh, injured in the course of the play. Which actually, Martha, I, don't, I read this in the book, is named after, this ambulance is named Martha. Um, and it's self-functioning, it's got, I mean, it's huge. But it's actually named after Vonnegut's psychiatrist. <laughs> I, I can see that he clearly needed one and, and maybe <laughs> need to spend more time he there. He may have needed one, but he actually saw things so clearly that I would think he would need a psychiatrist. From outside. Right. see it from outside and present it to us. Again, we, we have this uh, Kago, one of these aliens, who comes to Earth to warn Earth that our automobiles and their pollution and using up our natural resources are going to kill us. But nobody ever notices him because he's only an inch high. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a, pro, a, a real showstopper. And then he dies because <laughs> while he's trying to convince a bunch of workers in a, Detroit, in a bar in Detroit, a drunk auto worker mistakes him for a kitchen match. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, I've got to ask now, it, this must be fairly difficult to stage. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just heard the voice of God for the play Breakfast of Champions. I've been speaking with Steve Brenner. He's the director for Breakfast of Champions. Denny Vieira, he's the author. And Adrienne Rich plays a part of the ensemble. She plays a dog and a car and a boingy antenna alien. And a waitress and... And a drunkard in a cocktail lounge, so typecast again. You can catch them at the Mountain Community Theater production, and you can uh, the they'll be playing through um, May eighth, 9th, fifteenth, sixteenth, twenty two, twenty four, and twenty nine through thirty. Um, go to uh, mctshows.org. mctshows.org. Thank you for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.